All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Sports Ethos Celtics podcast after a huge blowout win where the Celtics blow the doors off of Miami Heat in their building and even the series 1-1 in a dominant fashion. I'm your host, Patrick Lounsbury, here with my co-host, Lucas Gaynor. I predicted this a game too early, but here we are in game two. The Celtics ended up getting their starting five back for the first time, all starting in a playoff game. And this is the result. Lucas, how are you feeling, man? I obviously feel great. You know, a 25-point victory. You know, people said, you know, they were looking for a complete game from the Celtics since we only got a 36-minute game from them. You know, in game one, this felt more of like a 43-minute game. The first five minutes were a little rocky, but after those first five minutes, the Celtics absolutely, you know, proved that they were the better team, Patrick, truthfully. And I think that's – tonight showed why we spoke with such confidence uh, pre-series about, you know, our confidence in the the Celtics winning this series. You're right, because when we talked about prior to this series, we were expecting Marcus Smart and Horford to be in the lineup, right? That's where the prediction of blowing the doors off came off in game one. We had that assumption. And having no Marcus Smart and now Horford, you saw the Heat kind of get whatever they wanted offensively. And the Celtics kind of go stagnant at times offensively. So when you put those two guys back into the lineup, the equation just switches up. And honestly, even Ime said it after today's game today, he said it wasn't a lot of schemes or defense or offensive changes. They just came out and, and punked us in the third quarter in game one. And we looked at three quarters and how well we played, and, and they went back to playing those three quarters. So if you look at this series, man, you can agree that the Celtics have played outplayed the Heat in seven out of eight quarters to this point. So you take away that one bad quarter that they had, it, it cost them one game, you know? And th- this team could easily be up 2-0. Unfortunately, they didn't have two of their starters in that game one. No excuses, next man up mentality. But the Celtics here should feel really confident and comfortable going into game three at home now, taking away that home court advantage from Miami Heat. 100%, Pat. This was a huge win for the Celtics to take, like you say, to steal that home court away. You know, I kind of figured it was going to be we were going to split the games in Miami, win both the games in Boston. You know, the Miami would pull out a win with their back against the wall in game five, and we finish it up game six. But, Patrick, you know, I think if the Celtics play their game, you know, obviously we'll see some adjust- adjustments from Spolstra. But if the Celtics play their game, I feel really confident about their chances to win any game in the series. I mean, Kyle Lowry returning, just like Smart and Horford returning, was a big deal. Um, you know, because I think he really helps initiate their offense, you know, and their half-court offense is pretty bad. So we'll see how Lowry returns. He's not guaranteed to return at 100% either. Um, but, no, I mean, I agree. We've outplayed them seven out of eight quarters, and just like Ime said, it was just some lazy basketball and some, you know, getting punked that really cost us that that game one. So it kind of hurts to be down – or, I mean, to be tied 1-1 instead of up 2-0. But, you know, all things considered, I feel as confident as I did pre-series – and even, you know, Pat, we kept the same energy after game one. You know what I mean? We did not waver. Our outlook did not change just because of one bad quarter. You know, we really believe the Celtics were the better team, and that bore itself out tonight. Yeah, and, and another thing is, too, like this this game could have actually went really bad, right? Like the way it started was not great for the Celtics. Going down 15-8, to eight, you may call the timeout the 8-4 mark. 
There was offensive rebounds where P.J. Tucker was just out hustling Robert Williams and getting buckets. And then Robert Williams just had a terrible first quarter. Like his first stint in was just god-awful. And then you take a look at uh, Tatum picking up his second foul at the 4-14 mark of the first, and you're just thinking like, wow, this this could really get bad. Um, but Jalen did a good job of sustaining some offense. You had Peyton Pritchard come in, make some threes as well. And Boston just kind of goes on a little bit of a run and then takes a 23-21 lead at the 256 mark. And the Celtics just kind of responded. You know, they had seven assists on eight buckets. Smart was 0-4 to start out this game surprisingly, but he helped organize them and get them to matchups and opportunities that they really wanted to exploit on the offensive side. And he was just brilliant with his passing and his playmaking and his ability to defend as well. Marcus Smart, huge impact, had his handprints all over this game in numerous ways and honestly was a a stellar performance. As always, you know, Smart with just a phenomenal game, 12 assists, one turnover, just you know, you can't ask for more than that out of your point guard, which Marcus Smart very clearly is. You know, he's a point guard who can score. You know, he had 24 as well. He really got going in that second half. But, Patrick, I just want to touch on that. So it was 18-15 to 15 when Jason picked up that offensive foul and subbed out of the game. The Celtics finished that quarter up 35-24. to 24. That is just a ridiculous run to go on without your best player on the floor for those last four or five minutes of the quarter. So the fact that the Celtics were able to do that, you know, in this game, because in game one, when Jason was off the court, it really didn't look great. Like you said it yourself, you texted me like, oh, that was a disastrous couple of minutes without Jason. But the fact that they were able to definitely keep that offensive float, um, I think that obviously has a lot to do with our guys, Horford and Smart returning. And, you know, Pritchard knocking down some shots early. So really, that, that stretch really... I'm not going to say I knew the game was over because I was not acting like that even when the Celtics were up 25. Um, But it made me feel really good about the Celtics' chances in this game, the fact that we were able to not only minimize the Heat's lead but give ourselves a double-digit advantage. Yeah, and and you're talking about like one of those runs right there in that first quarter. Boston went on a 17-0 run uh, during that stretch, and and the way that got broken was Butler finally hit a three with like 37 seconds left in the first quarter. Celtics were absolutely unconscious from deep in that first quarter. Nine of 11 shooting from the three-point line. And there were a lot of good looks, too. They weren't, like, forcing threes. It wasn't, like, heat check threes. They were just playing within the flow of the offense, and the heat were just allowing these really open threes. It kind of felt like the Buck series again for a minute where, like, they were just kind of like, all right, if you could shoot, shoot it tonight. And Boston made them pay, man. They were just going to be like, okay, cool. This is This is the defense you want to put on us. Let's let's play this and let's rock this dance. So, and then um, we go into the second quarter. Boston's really building on some momentum, and Robert Williams comes back in, and he this was his stint. This was the Robert Williams stint. He didn't do much as far as offensively, but his ability to affect shots and play defense and rim protect in that second quarter was absolutely huge. And the Celtics were able to get all the way up to nineteen points with. 8.06 left in that second quarter, and it was kind of like rolled from there. Yes, sir, man. It was good to see Rob, you know, get in there and actually make, you know, more of a positive impact than, like you said, in that first quarter. And, you know, the double big lineup pad is awesome. I mean, it's not something we roll out, you know, with a ton of frequency, but that scoring on that lineup is almost impossible, especially for a team that struggles defensively. I mean, excuse me, offensively like Miami does in the half court. Um, but I think that, you know, compared to the Milwaukee series, 
the Heat just do not have that inside presence that the Bucks so greatly had. So, you know, the Celtics are able to attack a little bit more, and that leads to, you know, some overhelping, which then leads to those open threes you're talking about. So, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's kind of a breath of fresh, uh, breath of fresh air not having to play a team that's just sitting Giannis and Brooke Lopez in the paint. You know, we can actually attack and, you know, create open shots. Um, so it feels good to be playing against that, even though the Heat are a very good defensive team in their own right. It feels like, you know, their weaknesses play a little bit into the strengths of the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, the way that they are able to attack now, this is a completely different team, right? Miami's a good defense. They are really good defensively. But they're really good defensively in different ways than the Bucs. Um, I think they're really good at a lot of switchability things. Their guard pressure is a lot better as well. Um, but their rim protection is worse than the Bucks, And they still like to kind of collectively close in. And that allows a lot of spacing and gaps in the middle area and also in the three-point spots. And that's where the Sucks kind of got really surgical. You know, they even tried a couple zone uh, defensive looks at Boston. And Boston just exploited it, man. There's They tried a lot of different schemes against Boston. And anything they kind of did, it just didn't matter. Boston was like, okay, cool. You want to do this? We're going to find a way to score in this. All right, and you're going to switch it up right now? We're going to do this. And everything that the Heat were trying to do, the Celtics had a counterpoint. It was, it was like almost watching like a, a boxing match, and the fighters like throwing a right hook. It's not working out. He's getting counterpunched every time. So then he's like, "All right, I got to throw a right uppercut, counterpunched. Now I'm gonna throw a jab, counterpunch." It's like no matter what type of punch the Miami Heat were trying to throw at Boston, they had a counter for it and were hitting back twice as hard. Yeah, you know, Spolster is an absolutely amazing adjustment coach, but you know, the zone is not really the adjustment that you want to make against the Celtics. I mean, we saw it in that game seven, you know, the Bucks had to live with some open threes and they also died by those open threes that the Celtics were taking. And this is not the Celtics of old. You know, people always like people are going to say you already know Heat fans and probably some national media people will say, oh, the Celtics are never going to shoot. They're not going to shoot that good again. OK, you know, that's probably true. Like you said, Pat, they were unconscious, but they are a good shooting team. So if you give them open looks, they will still shoot well. I mean, I'm not going to say they're shooting like over 50% from three every game, but they're going to knock down their threes at a good clip. So if that's what they want to do. They want to run that 2-3 kind of 1-3-1 one, one zone, leave the corners open, guys like Grant, Peyton. I mean, God, even Jalen and Al, man. I'm going to love that all day. You know, sometimes we get a, sometimes we get you know a little carried away with the, oh, we don't like when people chuck threes. But, Pat, I feel like you and I have been pretty consistent in the fact that as long as it's a good shot by a good shooter, I can live with the I can live with a bunch of three pointers, and I think that really showed itself tonight. Yeah, Celtics are really good at, at knocking down the shots, but it didn't just come with the shots. But I think it came more of playmaking, right? Like we talk about how good these shots were; like they were really good looks. Well, in the first sixteen field goals made by Boston tonight, thirteen of them were on an assist that's awesome so that's awesome team was just team was just flowing the ball was zipping out of people's hands it was hitting the right people at the right time so much unselfishness and they weren't overpassing either this time i felt like in sometimes in game one i felt like there's a bit of overpassing where like sometimes they'd have a really good look and they try to pass it for what they think is a great look it ends up turning as a more difficult shot so in this game i thought they were making quicker decisions and deciding just to to shoot the ball when they had a really solid look at the rim. And it ultimately paid off for the Celtics who, um, you know, I thought 
played amazing throughout this. Is and like I said earlier, man, it was the first game in the playoffs. This whole playoffs, the Celtics had their starting five healthy enough to all start. Like we had Robert Williams and Marcus Smart. We had all of these five healthy for a game, but Robert Williams was coming off the bench. Like he wasn't starting yet. And then you had the game where Marcus Smart didn't play, and the whole first round was no no Robert Williams. But this was actually the first game that the starting five all started. And this was the result, man. This is one of the best starting fives in all the NBA. They were the best starting five plus minus on the season. And there's a reason why. And they came out in the playoffs and game two, and they proved it to Miami. Like, Hey, when we're healthy, we are a different ball club. 100%. And guess what, Pat? We didn't even have our seventh man, Derek Wade, who I just need to congratulate on the birth of his son. No, and I'm also just going to say any Celtic fan who was kind of being negative about Derek White missing the game, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You know, there's something to do in basketball. And, you know, the birth of somebody's child is definitely that. So, you know, congratulations to Derek White. You know, hopefully he's back Saturday. He should be back Saturday. And I'm sure he'll be, you know, looking to get out there and make a positive impact. So we didn't even have our entire rotation, man. You know, one of the guys we gave up, you know, a lot for in a trade. So, well, we did have our starting lineup. We still didn't have our whole team. And Pat Ime, you know, we were kind of discussing before the game. Is Neesmith going to see more minutes? Well, you know, he didn't. Uh, he just kind of shortened the rotation to seven guys. Peyton was knocking down his shots early, so he just rode with Pritchard, who, you know, was playing with all – was just oozing confidence tonight, as always. Um, but, yeah, man, I'll be excited to get Derek White back for, for game three. And, you know, Pat, history usually doesn't repeat itself, but Derek White once upon a time in a game three had 36 points. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying we'll see 30-plus points from Derek White, but – who knows, man? I'm sure he'll have a good game. You know, he'll be jazzed up after the birth of his child. And, uh, you know, I know we saw that with Fred Van Fleet a couple postseasons ago. This guy turned into, like, a all-time great player after his child was born. So hopefully we can see the same sort of effect for uh, for Derek White. Yeah, man, we might see Daddy White come out Stop in game it. three and Stop just go it. off and go bananas. <laughs> no, um, uh, seriousness, uh, congratulations to Derek White and his family. Uh, wishing him all the health to the newborn baby in the family. Hopefully he's available for game three. If he's not totally understand, not even be mad at him, man, but hopefully we get Derek white back in game three as well as like touching on that Peyton Pritchard, Neesmith thing is uh, you know what? If Peyton Pritchard is starting out a game like that, I'm cool with Neesmith not playing. If, if Peyton Pritchard started out the game, like Oh, three or Oh, four from the field. Then I think you kind of throw Neesmith out there, and at that point you're like, if we're not going to be making shots from there, that uh, rotation spot, we might as well get a, a little bit better defensively. But with Peyton Pritchard uh, able to to carry some offensive load there, definitely uh, earned himself those minutes that he was playing. I mean, both Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard have playoff experience from last year. You know, they're not unfamiliar with being in the postseason, so. Uh, not a lot of experience. I know they got knocked out in five games to the Nets last year, but still five games in a, in a playoff series is still five games in a playoff series. So they do have some bit of experience. Uh, also wanted to talk about in this second quarter, this second quarter was the Jason Tatum quarter. Like he was insane in this quarter. He, he ended up dropping uh, 18 points in that second quarter. So 18 points out of what he ended up finishing with 27. The Celtics didn't really need much outside of that second quarter from him. And he was just, I hate to be repetitive because I feel like I say this about Jason Tatum when he goes off, but he's surgical. Like when he is in a zone, like he is so pinpoint and he just goes wherever he wants. Nobody stops him from getting to his spots. He just attacks. He shoots over people 
when he shoots those threes, I think some of those threes are overly so contested. I remember Bam was like right in his grill and he just drilled it in his face. He said he just does not care now when he's feeling it. Yeah, I was. It's just ridiculous, Pat. I was going to bring that actually play you just brought up. Um, you know that shot over Bam is like Tatum's size and length. Like, how many players can just rise up and shoot over Bam out of bio? I, I can answer that. I can answer that. There's two There's two people in the NBA. One of them's and Jason Tatum, and, and it's Kevin Durant. That's why I always said, I was like, people want to care, compare, like, Tatum to, like, Kobe, but I think he's the closest thing we'll see to Durant. I don't think he's – I won't ever say he's going to be as elite of a score of Durant because Durant has done a crazy amount of work to get to that position of being an elite of a score. But Jason Tatum does have the ability to get as close – to a, a Durant comparison as anybody else. You're talking about length with a handle and the ability just to shoot over people. Tatum and Durant have that ability over a lot of other people. Yeah, it's so ridiculous, man. I mean, there's nothing you can do when Jason Tatum is in that zone. And to me, this 27-point game from Jason Tatum is the definition of what we call light work. Okay, 27 points on 8 of 13 shooting. He never had to work too hard for his baskets. You know, like you said, he just in that second quarter just went off and there was nothing the Heat defense, an elite Heat defense could do about it. He's just that good. And when he's on, he's on. A couple three-pointers he made were just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, And honestly, watching the game, it didn't even feel like he missed five shots, Pat. I understand five shots is not a lot, but it didn't even feel like he missed that many. Um, So it was good to see Jason, you know, get his, but really not have to work too hard. And, you know, I think a big part of that, Pat, is when Jalen gets it going early. And, you know, he absolutely – I don't know if we really talked about it enough. He was on fire in the first quarter. He was making all types of shots, making pull-ups, making threes, making mid-range, getting to the hoop. When Jalen starts out that well, it takes a lot of the defensive pressure off of Jason, it feels like. Um, you know, they're still throwing a lot of bodies at him, but it takes a little bit of pressure pr- pressure off him because they know if they kind of ignore Jalen, you know, he's going to absolutely kill you, especially when he's making those tough shots in the beginning of the game. So – Light work from Jason Tatum tonight. Amazing start from Jalen. And, you know, honestly, our three best players really were carrying us tonight in Smart, Brown, and Tatum. Yeah, I, I think uh, Jalen Brown was really good. He came out solid, played really well on the offensive side of things. I'm just going to, like, not even acknowledge it besides just a few few touches here is, man, Jalen, I, I hope he he really – focuses on trying to be better at it as a defender this offseason. That's just that's the only thing I'm going to say about it. I don't really want to go into it, especially after a wonderful win like this. I don't want to take jabs at him. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, they attacked him a few times, and I've never been on that Jalen as an elite defender train, but I think we just need him to be above average. I don't know if necessarily Jalen Brown – Or average, right? Like average. I don't think he's average right now. Like with, with the mean, way he's defended at times – it, it, he kind of looks below average at times. It, it's bad. It's like he falls asleep. He looks yeah. less engaged. He doesn't. He he just gets blown by. Man, it's it's crazy. Well, like you said, like you said, I don't want to talk about it too much. Obviously, you know, I would definitely call him in my eyes. He's an he's an average defender at least. You know, at worst, I would say he's an average defender. He does fall asleep off ball, and I agree. He has engagement issues potentially off the ball. But you know, honestly, when he has it going offensively, and he's you know still long enough and athletic enough to make plays on defense, and I think he's still a good on ball defender. No, I get what you're saying, but I'm definitely not going to nitpick right now. But if there's an area he can improve, it's there. But that's a conversation for maybe a July podcast. Um, You know, tonight, man, let's just try to focus on the good. And Jalen Brown was definitely much better than he was in game one, for sure. 
how how scared were you when Jason Tatum um, grabbed at his right leg after Dude. he banged knees with Gabe Vincent? Because my heart dropped because um, after they banged knees, he had that weird slip. I didn't like it. I did not oh, like it. Oh, man. And the thing was, too, is like at first I was like, man, is that even a foul, really? But then I was like, yeah, it is a foul. Tatum's just so long that when he's trying to sidestep to that three, that his leg is still there. And Vincent just went right into it. And it like tripped him up and everything, and it was just it was just kind of scary though for a second. And when he was rubbing on it, I was like, "Oh no, man!" But ended up Tatum ended up looking fine. He stayed in the game. Um, exploded in that first half. Tatum had that twenty point first half, and they led the Miami Heat seventy to forty five. Man, that's actually that's ridiculous. The biggest lead in franchise history, um, in in uh, playoffs for the Celtics. Yeah, Largest the biggest- road playoff lead in franchise history at the half. At halftime, right? At halftime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy, and, and, and you're talking about what uh, Tatum had 20, Brown had 15, Grant had 12. We can talk about how Grant was poised in this one. I mean, Grant he was great, man. nearly matched Butler in the first half in points. No, and you can tell, and man, you can tell that that BAM matchup is something serious to him. I mean, they've been playing to, against each other since AAU, and you can tell he takes that matchup serious, man. And, you know, Grant himself said that, and uh, it was just you can really see on the court – Grant was phenomenal tonight. I think he's going to be a little bit of an unsung guy considering how good Jalen, Jason, and Marcus were. Um, but, dude, he he was phenomenal tonight, man. I mean, he's composed, hitting his threes, playing awesome defense. And I'm just going to say this one time. Wick Grossbeck, please extend our guy, Grant Williams. You know, well, we don't need to get into the contract details. That's probably another offseason topic. But I'm really willing to pay Grant Williams, you know, whatever whatever he wants within reason to stay on this team because – He's a terrific role player and a terrific shooter, terrific teammate, terrific vibes guy. Uh, I just – I can't really say anything bad about Grant Williams, and I think he's only going to keep growing as a player. So please, pay this man. My favorite Grant Williams play all night had to be when he posted up on awesome TJ Tucker. And, and and then he put he, – he, he bullied him too. Like he straight bullied him and got right to the rim and just got an easy – up in layup, right? And he just goes too small on PJ Tucker, which absolutely was hilarious. Uh, speaking of PJ Tucker, hopefully he is healthy and does play in Game Three. We hate seeing injuries. Uh, I know he he left with a with a left knee injury, and we're hoping the best for yeah. him. We hate seeing injuries. We want both teams absolutely. to be healthy throughout this series. Absolutely, I hope it's nothing too serious. I know he kind of stepped out of Game One, so. Hopefully it's nothing related to that. Hopefully maybe he banged knees or got a little bruise, like a, a bone, or not a bone bruise, but just maybe like a little contusion like Smart had one of those games. And hopefully it's nothing super serious because like you said, man, I always want to play against a team full strength. And you know, a lot of people might try and call BS, but honestly, it's just a better feeling when you beat a team at full strength, you know, which is why like, you know, it's obviously so painful for the Bucks there not having their second best guy, but um, definitely hope PJ Tucker comes back. And yeah, but as far as that play, I was really like I was expecting PJ to flop once uh once Grant put his shoulder into his chest again and he didn't and you know Grant just got that easy layup but I think that's part of the evolution of Grant's game we touched on you know uh you know at the end of game I want to say at the end of game five or something like that in the Buck series but Grant is he's capable of having a post game he's capable of you know driving in a straight line so I think we'll see that offensive evolution you know, even making his ceiling grow even a little bit higher as a role player than what it is right now. So it's really exciting, Pat, for me to see that evolution kind of take shape in front of our eyes in these high-leverage playoff games, really. 
I'm really hopeful about Grant. You know, I floated, you know, a bunch of times to some Celtics fans this year, what contracts and people were telling me they didn't want to pay him 448 earlier. Well, guess what? His performance in the playoff earned him a lot more than $48 million over four years. I can say right now, I would say he's probably close to the 464 range. And listen, I'm okay with that all day. I'm not going to lie. It might seem like an overpay to some people, but Covington this year got two for 24. Grant is a younger player. Um, you know, with more upside offensively in his game, I would say. So he's probably worth a little bit more long-term. Um, maybe maybe Grant takes a slight pay cut for, you know, that fifth year potentially, but I really want to bring back Grant really pretty much regardless of the cost, obviously within reason. Absolutely. Um, definitely think we're going to go into a lot more of the extension talks here in the offseason. But one thing I will, uh, will want to point out here in that first half with the Celtics was – the incredible bounce back from going down 10 points early, right? It was eight to 18 and the Celtics ended up responding and ending that first half on a 62 to 27. No, that is, that is ridiculous, man. That is legitimately ridiculous. That's unheard of, man. It's ridiculous. No, that, no, that's not even a cutoff, man. That's, that's insane. That deserves a reaction, deserves a cutoff. And what, what was kind of interesting was the start to the third was, definitely concerning at first because you saw a lot of what we saw in the last third quarter. It felt like the Boston just got a little bit stagnant with their movement. Um, the possessions were just not as crisp. I felt like the looks weren't good. And Eme ended up having to call a timeout with 639 left and Boston had only put up 10 points. Whereas Miami, you know, came out pretty, pretty hot, man. They came out with 12 points. Uh, just kind of like, Bullying their way back into the game. Marcus, Far- uh, Marcus Smart actually had his first turnover in the whole entire game in the third quarter with just over six minutes left as well. And it was just the most odd turnover. It was uh, him getting a steal and then falling out of bounds and then ended up throwing it off Jason Tatum's leg and ended up counting as a turnover against him because he had possession before falling out, which is so bogus in a sense. But it's just a funny turnover to have on Marcus Smart in a night where he had – 10 assists, man. He was one rebound away from a triple-double. That's wild. Honestly, I thought he had 12 assists. I'm, I was wrong. I said that earlier in the podcast. I, I might have been wrong about that. For some reason, I thought I saw that stat on the screen. I could be wrong, but it was definitely a double-double for Smart regardless. I know that much, but you know, Smart really has never been a high turnover guy for as, like, you know, as reckless as some people would say he plays. He's never been a high turnover guy. But the fact that he's able to get those assists up to double-digit level numbers and keep that assist down to one, like you said, which was partly a bogus a bogus turnover on his record, right? But I just cannot speak to Smart's development as a point guard and as a player enough because he doesn't really take dumb shots anymore. And if he does, it's very infrequent. He takes care of the ball. He makes the right play. Um, and uh, apparently he plays like it's N one street ball, dropping Max Struess and making Dwayne Dedman, you know, look ridiculous on a couple crossovers tonight, Pat. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a picture out there right now with Marcus smart and Struess is like on the ground as he's pulling up, man. It's, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, that was the ultimate just, and, and we talk about like ankle breakers in today's NBA. It's, it's very rare that you see no push off or, somebody stepping on something or there being a slip before it happens. But this was just straight up drop the man, put him in a body bag. It's he didn't even get up before the shot got off and you just watch Marcus Martin nail it. 
and the whole bench just goes crazy. This one was cleaner than clean, Pat. He did not touch him at all. Just dropped him. You know, it's very humbling to get your ankles broken. And listen, Struess started off the game pretty good. But after those first five minutes, man, he really struggled defensively. He was not really knocking down his shots to the point where, you know, he opted, uh, Spolstra opted to bring in Duncan Robinson, um, you know, who has not really been playing in the playoffs. And, you know, we all know if you don't have, you know, regular minutes or you can't get into a groove, man, it's really hard to just come off the bench and knock down shots. We saw that Duncan was over three or over four from downtown tonight on a couple of really clean looks. So I wonder if he plays anymore because those dribble handoffs were getting him open shots. He just wasn't knocking them down. Uh, and no, and I just mean, to say, smart. I mean, it also to your yep. point. So sorry about that, but to your point um, before you said the show is like Spolstra, like trying to make adjustments, but there's not really an adjustment to make, and it's like that that low key that Duncan Robinson put in there kind of looked desperate. And I, I hate to say that because Spolstra is such a great coach, but like great coaches can, can look desperate too. He's not immune to that. And I think that was a desperate moment from him. Yeah, I would agree, man. And Duncan Robinson was getting, you know, when Duncan Robinson is attacking the hoop, that's how you know his jumper's not falling because he has some of the highest three-point attempt rates in NBA history. And he was really like scored all his points inside, you know, layups getting to the hoop. But I do wonder if um, that's, you know, something they look to in game three because they need to look somewhere. And I just wanted to, what I wanted to say was uh, Smart did have 12 tonight, just 12 assists, just so, you know. Okay, my, that's my fault. I was, no, I thought I was going crazy a little bit. I thought that popped up post game. But so 24 points, 12 assists, and one turnover for the point. Dare I say the point god? No, I'm not going to go. And, and, and what, what, and what, the nine rebounds as well? <laughs> Who's point yeah, guard getting nine rebounds, rebounds like that? No, he's awesome, man. And listen, I know a lot of people are freaking out about Smart after game five, but I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. Those moments feel like they happen a lot because, you know, of maybe the magnitude or how they look. The good far, far, far outweighs the bad with Marcus Smart, and that's a hill I'm willing to die on every single time. Yeah, and and Marcus Smart actually, like, his biggest moments in this game, as brilliant as he was in the first half, the Celtics let this lead all the way down to, like, 17. I think it was 17 or 19 at one point, right, in that third quarter. And then there was a big steal by Marcus Smart on Butler. And it was Butler was rolling in that third quarter. Like, we didn't even talk about Like, Butler was in another zone again. Like, that third quarter was, was a cook session for Butler. And he was he was the only reason the, the Heat were coming back. And the Celtics needed something to stop the momentum. Marcus Smart gets that steal. And, and then the lead is 19, but with 224 left. And then Rob ended up coming back in. And they had a chance to build up on the lead. And, and Marcus Smart just proved that he's a difference maker, man. Boston ended up collecting themselves late in the third and pushed the lead back up to 25. So seeing that they they were only you know up 19 with 224 left, but they ended the quarter at up 25, shows growth as well. as like they can take another punch in the third quarter. It, they didn't repeat it, right? They showed signs that it possibly could happen, but then they they countered it. They were like, no, we're, we're going to be like – we're going to be really good uh, moving forward here. So I think the the Celtics have a lot to build on from this game. And then as far as the fourth quarter goes, man, like it's not much to say because the, the Celtics yeah. already had the game in hand. You know, you go into a fourth quarter 25-point lead, it's – Not much to say. It's going to be hard to win into. Uh, and then the, Miami tried another desperate thing from, from Spolster, I think, in this one was like he was just trying to get the zone to work. And – 
I don't know when I, whenever I watch a team, if you're playing man almost all game and it's not working and then you go to a zone, it just it just seems like another desperate move. Like and well, honestly, I will say they they were playing some zone in the first half, that 2-3, and then they came out in the second half and it looked like they tried to shade, you know, the two bottom guys up to more of a 1-3-1 than a 2-3, but I hear you, man. The zone just wasn't working, and I was surprised they, they, they went back to it there in the fourth because it felt like the game was over, man. And would you say though, like it felt like it felt like they tried like three or four different schemes on defense to try to slow us down. And when you when you keep going through so many, is like it just shows desperateness. Like Yeah. In that third quarter, you know, just to touch on that before we really go to the fourth, you know, whatever really happened in the fourth was like you said, Jimmy gave, he was on fire. He gave us a great punch. They got the lead down to 17. Like you said, we countered. It was awesome. But our offense did stall out there for a little bit. Um, for six yeah, minutes. For, six, for a little bit. That's more than a little bit. That's half the quarter. So, uh, you know, our defense, of course, you know, still was pretty good. They didn't cut into the lead like crazy. But there was a moment there when it got down to 17 off the Jimmy and one, I believe it was. It was like if they went on the A-O run, it's a 12-point game all of a sudden, right? You know, but our offense kind of revived at that point. We were able to take that big punch they had in the third quarter. Um, but one adjustment, Pat, I think they could make – Bam has got to be more aggressive straight up. He's got to be. I know his game – listen, he's not really offensive threat. Like, that's not why Bam is a great player. But if they're not getting points from Bam – like, they got six points from Bam tonight, Pat. You want to know how much he's averaging in the series? Uh, I think I do the math. Eight. 8.6. Okay, I was pretty close. Oh yeah, you're you're really close. I mean, it might be eight point five, um, but he's also only averaging like six six point something uh, rebounds. Uh, so he's eight and six. We'll say eight and yeah. six. He's averaging eight and six in the series. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, the fact that the Miami is <laughs> able to Bam win one player. game with him playing like that is impressive in its own. Right. And I love Bam. Listen, Bam does a lot of amazing things on the basketball court. But I always he's so he good defensively, man. So good. I, there was. Do you remember that possession here in game, in this game that uh, I think he went out and had to guard Tatum on the perimeter and was sticking with Tatum like almost the whole way, and Tatum ended up having to pass it away. Oh. And I was just like, I was just like, man, there's not a lot of centers that do that. That him doing that is not normal. I would reckon to say, Pat. No, legitimately, I would reckon to say there's none, and may, besides him, and maybe if you want to put Jaron Jackson in, which I really don't think. I don't think I want to put him in the same combo quite as Bam. They're close. Wait, maybe Draymond, if you want to, because Draymond sometimes plays five, man. He's, he's like, yeah, Draymond's a, nice. Uh, Draymond's one of my favorite players in the NBA. Yeah. No uh, speaking of Draymond, I did, I did have this question for you. I, 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 I was like, that. is Marcus Smart the guard version of Draymond Green? You know, great defense, good playmaking, and then the, the offense, yeah. any offense you get from him is just bonus, right? No, exactly. I think that's the perfect comparison because. They are both, you know, very smart defenders. They both give great effort. They quarterback the defense, like you said, great playmakers. And when they're hitting their threes, they just turn into a, a way too good of a player. You know what I mean? Like, there's just nothing you can really do to stop them. So I love that comparison. But I uh, know Bam's got to get going offensively, I think, for Miami to have any chance. So uh, I think we see him be a little bit more aggressive in game three. I think that is uh, absolutely something we should look for because I don't know where else they turn, especially if Lowry's not back. Like they need to get banned the ball, like going to the hoop more. But I said this to you before the game or when we were talking during the game, Pat is like any shot that Bam takes, that's not a layup or like a dunk at the rim to me is a win. Like 
That's a win. Like That's I know win. he like can make some of those turnaround jumpers, those push shots in the lane. But I'm living with that. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna have to live with that. Bama's gonna have to score twenty plus, I think, you know, for me to really be like, okay, maybe we shouldn't live with that. But it's I don't like you said, Pat, he's averaging eight and six. I don't think he's you know, I think he's gonna have to average closer to twenty than ten in order for the Miami to really have a shot without Kyle Lowry in this series. And I don't think I'm saying anything too crazy with that. No, I don't. I, I'm right there with you. I think that uh, Bam is a non-factor right now. And as a Heat fan, or you know, as, as a Heat player, you got to be concerned. Like that's that's a very concerning thing. But it's not so much that Bam is not like playing great. You know, it's more so of like Boston's interior defense is is tough, man. Like you have Al Horford and Robert Williams and you get Grant Williams. Like this, this is not the same team from two years ago. I know we keep hitting this nail on the head, but like he's not going to go just against like a Daniel Tice. Like this is not what's going to happen. He's just not going to get that matchup anymore. So he has to to big boy himself. If, if Bam does not assert himself and he's not aggressive, He's just going to phase himself out. And I think if he lets Al Horford and Grant Williams and Robert Williams get to him, then the Miami's in trouble. They're in deep trouble. That's a, yeah, that's a great point, man. I mean, I, I, I should not put all the blame on Bam, which I wasn't trying to do, but the Celtics do have amazing interior defense, so it's obviously going to be tough for him to score, which is why I'm saying those little mid-range fadeaways, it's like, like you said, he's not going. He's not just shooting up over Tice. Like, He's got to shoot up over Al, who's a phenomenal defender, as we all know, or Rob, who's just an insane athlete and also a great defender. So I think it's pretty clear, Pat. We both feel pretty good about the series, man, I think for good reason. And I think this game encapsulates why, you know, we felt so confident pre-series and it wasn't just rooted in our fandom or bias or anything like that. We had real reasons, and I think they all, you know, showed them showed their big faces tonight, they reared their ugly heads tonight, why, you know, we felt so good. Yeah, and another point on that um, guarding Bam is people don't also want to realize is that even though Giannis had a really good stat line last series, his percentage was 46%. very low like, compared to what he is used to. So seeing him not have that higher percentage as usual uh, should indicate that, like, hey, maybe the Celtics got some pretty good interior defense. So don't I wouldn't say so much the blame is on Bam not showing up, but give more credit to probably the Celtics defense. I feel like the Celtics defense almost gets overlooked in the sense of like every single series. It's been like, you know, first round it was like, Oh, just Katie's just not himself, not playing well. It's on KD. Well, where, where's credit to the Boston's defense. Okay. Um, Bucks ended up not having enough. Giannis couldn't do it all on his own. Uh, well, wasn't the Celtics defense doing a really good job at, you know, having him shoot at such a low percentage and limiting the rest of his supporting cast. People don't want to talk about the defense they played no. on Drew Holiday and limited him. The Celtics are so good at, at like, cool, Jimmy Butler, you want to go ahead and have a good quarter? We're going to stop everybody else from get going with you. And then you're going to phase out because you're going to wear yourself out by trying to carry all that load and nobody else is going to get in a flow. And then we'll, we'll get back to our lead. And And that's what the Celtics have been doing series in and out throughout the playoffs and it almost seems like people want to go on they're not playing well instead of being like the Celtics defense is the best defense in the playoffs no I totally hear that and I do think people do that a lot but with me my thing with Bam though is I mean listen what do you think Pat can Bam take less shots than Struess Gabe Vincent Victor Oladipo 
Caleb Martin, and Duncan Robinson in the same amount of shots as P.J. Tucker as your second-best player, there's no way. He's got, bro, he's got to take more than six shots. And, I, and while the Celtics defense deserves credit, I got to get no, – I don't want to get at Bam like because I know he's not really like an offensive guy like that, but I'm just saying as far as adjustments they could possibly make, I think Bam has to try to get his offensive game going because I don't know where else they get these points from, man. I mean, I really don't. Yeah, and, and with that the point with Bam, he he taking only six shots. That I think it's a 50-50 on him yeah, still, yeah, yeah. right? So it's like my thing is that he can take six shots and he can win – but he has to initiate, right? So if he's yeah. aggressive and draws two people, and he's passing it, and he's only taking six shots, yes. that's a difference, right? So that's the same. That's the same true, with like true, Grant true. Williams in Game Seven with the Bucks. You know, if he's gonna, he's he's gonna lead the team in shots because that's what the defense ends up giving you. Yeah. That's cool. But right now the defense is just playing Bam straight up, and that's why I said for Bam to want to have some some type of success in the series, he's gonna have to be aggressive. He has to be aggressive. He has to show something. But if Bam had Jimmy Butler's mindset, I think he'd be taking a lot more shots. And that's where it just kind of comes to difference. So I think Jimmy Butler needs to go to Bam and be like, do what I'm doing, man. Yeah. It, embrace the contact and, and play through it. And I think that's a good point you made, Pat, is that it's not even necessarily the shot attempts. It's the aggression. Like you said, if he's playing to score, he'll draw two, and it doesn't matter if he takes the layup or if he finds the open guy, right? So I think that's a really good point. It's not necessarily in just the shot attempts. It's really more overall his play style offensively. But like you said, we got to give credit to the Celtics defense. It's not like Bam is passing up wide open layups. He's passing up really tough shots. So I don't want to make it seem like he's just, oh, he's just selling. You know, he doesn't want to take these shots. No, he's being forced to not play you know, his, any type of scoring basketball. So, listen, I feel really good, Pat. I feel really good going into these games three and four, man. I cannot wait to be in the building. The garden's going to be electric. I just can't wait for it, man. And, you know, it's going to be a hot day on Saturday in Boston in the 90s, and hopefully the, uh, the Celtics shooting stays just as hot, man, you know, up into the 40%, 50% range that they were in tonight. Just absolutely ridiculous shooting from the Celtics. Also, did we, did we talk about the Marcus Smart? Layup. Oh, the and one you're talking about? No, nah, I'm talking about the Marcus Smart behind the back missed the layup. No, 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 no. Listen, oh, Pat, Pat, actually, have you ever seen Men in Black? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the, the little thing where it makes you erase your memory. Is that what you did? That's exactly what I did about that play. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> you know what? Um, during the game, I was like, come on, Smart. You just got to, like, you just got to play. You just got to play normal. You know, you don't got to get fancy with it. You don't got to get all like that. But, you know, if he's he's hooping, he's having fun at the end of the day. But, man, how embarrassing was it that he missed that? It was wide open, too. Like, he – that yeah, could have been such an electric that play. That was a bummer. You know, it would have been awesome. And, you know, people say that, like, sums up Smart's career. And, honestly, I don't really want to say that because I don't – I honestly don't agree. Like, I know where people are coming from with that. But I think something that sums up Smart's career just has to be a net positive play. Um, so I don't really agree with that, but that was a funny moment. But something I did not erase from my mind was that Larry Bird esque fadeaway with the terrible angle after he gets the foul and absolutely nails that shot. So uh, that's more what I want to remember, Pat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marcus Smart also too had a this really cool 
step back where he he kind of got into his James Harden bag a bit against Deadman. Uh, I know we talked about it before the pod, but that was a really funny uh, Marcus Smart three pointer. Just when when Marcus Smart is hitting shots like that, or or we, we totally spaced the the and one that he had on Bam that went over the backboard. Yeah, the one I just mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that the one that you just mentioned. Like, how, I don't even know how we spaced that one, but also the one with Deadman, like how he he did the step back on him and shot right up. When Marcus Smart is hitting shots like that, you could just pack up the suitcase and, and just get ready for for the next game because that type of boost that he gives right there is just done. Hundred percent. It's kind of similar to you know that Draymond comp. Like when he's when he's when he's shot making, both of those players just ascend to just absolutely different level. But uh, Pat, you know, I think we got a few minutes here. You know, we got some listeners tonight here on Spotify Live. Anybody wants to come up, you know, you can say so in the chat. Send a request to Pat. You can either get some questions or just, you know, some fans can just let off their feelings because I know everybody's feeling good tonight. So if anybody wants to come in, just put in the request and we'll get you guys up. Oh, here it is. A loyal listener, yes, Ben. Yes, sir. How you doing tonight, Ben? How you doing, Ben? What's up? I got like a small question, actually. I was just curious. Is this the first time they've run – the fully healthy starting lineup in the playoffs so far? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, like, do y'all know the record when they all, like, they all start, like, throughout the season? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I just know that they do have the most uh, efficient starting five in the whole NBA. They finished number one as far as plus minus. In net yeah, rating? in net rating, they, they, they ended yeah. up finishing number one uh, with this starting five. So this is a very elite group of five individuals the Celtics have rolling out there. They're just so versatile on defense, and they flow so well on offense with the spacing. Al Horford, the ability to to start hitting three-pointers. I know me and Lucas talked about it earlier in the season about how he was struggling from three. I think he was almost in like the low 20s or mid-20 areas at one point. But the way he's come on and, and really gotten to the flow of shooting again in the playoffs has been huge for spacing purposes. And then Grant just transitioning from a great um, efficient three-point shooter in the playoffs has also really helped the Celtics as well off the bench. So when, when Horford's not on the court, they always have some type of spacing. Dude, they're like there. a fortress, man. Defensively, it's yeah. crazy. It's unbelievable, man. Like you said, yeah, that starting lineup. I'm not sure what the record is, you know, but like Pat said, most efficient net rating wise. And Pat, to your point, man, Horford shooting like in that 25, 27% to start the year. It looked pretty bad, but, you know, I, I tweeted earlier in the year, if Celtics fans, if you're freaking out, Google po- positive regression. And he has regressed absolutely probably farther than I expected. Facts. Yeah. Facts, bro. Especially in the playoffs. He, sh- he at one point was shooting, I think in the net series, he shot 60 from three, 60%. So he's been nuts from three. Um, also, absolutely. Also, um, I was going to say one thing. Uh, oh, yeah. the um, In my opinion, honestly, in this series at least, because um, I don't look ahead to like a next series if we can get by the heat. We've still got a long way to go. But in my opinion, I think the only thing stopping the Celtics is themselves. And I'm not saying like I think they will or that they have a good chance to, but I, I feel like this team has – there's no real – like there's no – uh, reliable, like super reliable answers that he'd have against the Celts, in my opinion. I feel like the Celts have way more options, and I think the Heat would have to to they'd have to do a lot more heavy lifting to like get wins in this series, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what y'all think about that. One hundred percent. I mean, it seems like things are coming a lot easier to the Celtics and a lot tougher to the Heat. And 
you know, I'm sure Spolster is going to come up with some adjustments, of course, that Pat and I, you know, obviously do not think of. Spolster's absolute basketball savant. But it does feel like they're going to be a little harder pressed for adjustments, you know. And it's going to be harder for them to find their way than it is the Celtics. So, you know, I guess we'll find out, Ben. You know, I'll probably rewatch the game tomorrow, see if I can think they'll make any adjustments. But what I did say, Ben, was maybe Ben get a little more aggressive on offense. I would say maybe that's one thing to look for if there's no Kyle Lowry in game in game three. And uh, another point to to Ben, I think what he's what he wanted to end up saying, and I, I've already claimed it at this point with the last four teams in the playoffs. I think the Celtics are the best team remaining. Um, I think that what's stopping them from you know finishing out this postseason the the way that we want to is strictly going to be on staying focused and executing our game plan and relying on our Achilles heel, which is our defense. As long as this team stays locked in defensively, it creates offensive opportunities. This team is the most elite defense left in the playoffs. Uh, I'm not saying that the Warriors aren't elite defense or Miami's not. They both are really good defensively. Dallas is a lot better of a defense and people give them credit for as well. But I think when you, oh yeah. And when you you look at the the defenses though, with the remaining four, I just think the Celtics are on a different tier than everybody else. And that's not a disrespect to anybody else, but more so of like how uh, really good this team is defensively, because it's really hard to find a matchup to exploit. It is funny how, like, the defense wins championships, man. Like, everyone always says it every year, but it really rings true every year. Like, literally all four teams have phenomenal defenses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did you have any other further questions for us there, Ben, before uh, we carry on here? No, I got it. I'm good, bro. Appreciate you. Hey, man, we we appreciate you coming on the show uh, as usual. I'm going to watch the fourth quarter right now, so I didn't catch it. So I'm going to watch it right now. Sounds good, Ben. Thank you for coming by, man. We appreciate you. And just to yes. touch on the starting lineup, Pat, do you just want to guess? You know, I know you know that they're mo- the most efficient lineup in the NBA, but do you want to guess what the net rating of the starting five was in the regular season? Oh, man. So basically, I, net rating is, you know, I know you know, but just points per 100 possessions, you know, offensive rating minus defensive rating, you know, what's the difference? Uh, were they like 117? No, so no, no, no. That would be their like offensive rating. Their offensive rating was one nineteen. Their defensive rating was. Oh, I thought we were talking about the. Offense oh no, no, the net bad. rating. The net rating was twenty five. So basically, their outscoring okay. teams by twenty five points. Didn't mean to set you up like that, Pat. Uh, oh, I thought we were talking about offense. I was like, um, <laughs> offensively, I think they were like one. Like I thought they were up there, like one seventeen, one twenty. Oh, but the the net rating though that that makes sense. They were in like twenty twenty five. You said twenty five points. That's ridiculous, man. So see, I'm saying that's just an elite team and. You look at like past championships uh, and everything like that. They normally end up having a team that's top top five in defense and then like a top eight offense. And the Celtics ended up falling under both of those. So I mean, just as far as like history goes, with how good a team is throughout a season and kind of carries on into the playoffs, the Celtics kind of check a lot of boxes that that lead to it. And there's a very very big reason as to why I have confidently said that. I just think the Celtics are the best team left. Just because you're the best team left, though, doesn't just guarantee you anything. Like, you still have to go out there and play the games. Still have to go out there and execute and make sure you don't fall back into old habits. And the Celtics have been doing a really good job of that so far. We're hoping that they can continue to build on uh, a very impressive game to win. As we head back to Boston for a game on Saturday, uh, it's we took we took advantage of the heat and took stole away home court advantage. So now the Celtics just got to take care of business at home, right? Like as long as we take care of business at home, 
we put ourselves in a very good position to uh, potentially make another uh, NBA Finals appearance. Yep, don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Obviously, you know, it's one-to-one. We do feel good, but yeah, I just don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to jinx anything. I'm knocking on wood right now. All listeners, I know they heard that. So, uh, you know, I just think we need to take care of business at home, like you said, and, you know, we'll be in good position to close out the series, man. Absolutely, and and that kind of wraps things up for me. I uh, don't really have anything else to add to this uh as well as I think we kind of went a lot longer than normal podcast. I think we were really hyped about a, such a big dominant win, yes, but we do appreciate everybody sticking around and, and listening. Make sure you guys head over to Spotify and give us that five-star rating. You can also head on over to Apple podcast and leave a five-star rating and review there. That helps us out tremendously. You can also head over to Twitter at uh, sports ethos Celtics for any type of content throughout the game. We are live tweeting a lot of times. You also got me and Lucas on Twitter tweeting all the time as well. I'm at Ball and Opinions. You can find Lucas at Luca underscore Gainer. Um, just go ahead and follow us if you guys have any questions or anything like that. Also, come into Spotify Live, man. Download it on that on your phone. Come in. You can. You don't even have to come up here and talk. You know, Ben comes up here and talk, but you can come into the chat. There's a chat room as well with other people. You can chat out. You can totally ask us questions in the chat. We'd be more than happy to answer there as well. 100%. And shout out to everybody. We had a little bit of a bigger crowd tonight on the Spotify Live. So shout out to everybody who pulled through. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to discuss, you know, as as we move th- further through the playoffs, people are going to want to do that. So definitely pull up to Spotify Live. Like Pat said, don't be shy. Ask your question in the chat. You can come up on stage, talk with us. Um, that's why we like recording here on Spotify Live. Um, shout out to everybody who listens, downloads, subscribes, rates, all of that. We appreciate every single one of y'all, probably more than you can even imagine. Um, uh, you know, you're why this podcast keeps going. So can't, can't wait for game three. You know, I know everyone else is feeling the same. Hopefully the Celtics can take care of business and Pat, that's pretty much all for me, man. Yeah, man. We're going to do a quick little prediction for game three. Lucas, what do you got? I'm just going to say we got to win. I got, uh, I don't have no numbers, but we're winning. We're winning. We're protecting our home court. The garden will be nutty. It'll be the most elite six man we get. I'm gonna say we get Daddy Derek White back, okay? And he's gonna <laughs> let's go. He's gonna go. Let's go. I he's, gonna he did he's gonna have one of his better games in the playoffs, and I think we win. Um, I'm right there with you. I think uh, a Celtics win is coming Saturday. Um, Boston comes out. I think the Heat are gonna come out with a lot of energy in that first quarter, and I think the Celtics are ready for it, man. I think they're gonna come back with their own energy. I think the crowd's gonna be crazy. They're gonna build behind that crowd. And I think Miami's uh, role players are going to be shrinked a, a lot more on the road. And hoping for a Boston Celtics win to go up 2-1. Thank you guys so much now for coming in and stopping by. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll see you guys after Saturday's game. <laughs>